Hi, I'm Derek McFadden, proud to be an author, a poet, and a lover of most things pop culture. I am also handicapped, born with a mild form of cerebral palsy. But please note, this podcast is not called Handicapped Writer. It is instead titled Writing While Handicapped, because that's what I do. Join me as we talk with folks in the book world. And this podcast looks at the world of literature from a perspective you haven't seen before. Welcome in. This is the seventh episode of Writing While Handicapped, and I'm Derek McFadden. I am the author of What Death Taught Terrence. I'm here with John Whittier Treat. He is the author of First Consonants, that will, that, that, and that's what we're here to talk about. John Whittier Treat is the author of the novel The Rise and Fall of the Yellow House, a finalist for the 2016 Lambda Prize. He is the winner of the Christopher Hewitt Award for Fiction and a Pushcart Prize nominee. And he, again, he's here to talk about uh, First Continents, which is um, out now from from, uh, from Jaded Ibis Press. And we both stutter, John. That's <laughs> that, normally I edit out the stutters uh, as best. No, I no, can. please don't. But uh, well, you know, for radio reasons. But yeah, you're right. Um, it's just part of what happens. It's part of part of life. So tell us about how you came to write First Continents. How you came to writing in general, I guess, also. Mm. Well, Derek, first of all, let me thank you very much for inviting me to be in this podcast review. It means well, a great welcome. deal to me. Uh, I was a teacher of literature for many years. That was my career. Mm-hmm. And um, as I was approaching late middle age, I decided there were a number of personal stories I wanted to tell, uh, not necessarily as memoir or nonfiction, but as a novel. Right. And uh, the first of those was, as you mentioned, The Rise and Fall of the Yellow House. And that came out seven years ago. And that was about the first years of the AIDS epidemic here in the Pacific Northwest, Mm. which I lived through. But when that book came out, uh, I turned to the uh, second story I wanted to tell. And in some ways, it's my oldest. I guess in all ways, it's my oldest, which is stuttering. Mm -hmm. I stuttered badly as a child. Uh, My brother stuttered as well. That's not uncommon. He outgrew it. Uh, I did not. Mm. Um, As you probably know, Uh, Boys and girls stutter in roughly equal numbers when they're young. And most girls, although fewer than than I had once thought, outgrow it. Um, I did not. And it got progressively worse. I'm speaking to you now relatively stutter-free, though I will stutter before this podcast is over. Okay. Uh, Not because of therapy or speech therapists or self-help books, but um, other factors. Um, You know, when you get older, uh, hopefully you achieve a certain measure on one hand of confidence. Right. And on the other hand, if you're not giving an an FF. (laughs) Right. Yes. uh, And not worrying whether I stuttered or not, of course, was half the battle. 
because a stutterer, even when he or she is not stuttering, lives in perpetual, I will say terror, of stuttering. We're thinking a few words ahead in whatever we're saying, and we're anticipating, you've probably had this experience, we're anticipating a word uh, that we started on before or begins with a, a vowel that we always have trouble with. For me, H's are the worst. And we frantically search for another word to substitute. Mm -hmm. Stutterers have huge vocabularies. Uh, because uh, we need to have a lot of words available. Have to find them. Have to use them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not. But anyway, I wanted to write about stuttering, uh, not just because it's my own story, but I think stutterers have gotten a raw deal in literature. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe at the beginning it was okay. Moses stuttered. Uh, <laughs> In the Old Testament, his brother Aaron had to, had to talk to him, had, had to talk for him. Right. But in modern times, we're idiots, we're court jesters, or most frequently, our stutter is a signal to some deeper moral defect or flaw. Mm. Um, Philip Roth, in his novel, uh, American Pastoral, makes a young woman who stutters a terrorist. Okay. Oh, and I just thought, what if someone wrote a novel where a stutterer was a hero? Yeah. And I originally intended to make my character, Brian, who is not me, other than in the fact that he stutters, a hero. That proved hard, hard to do. Uh, we don't live in a particularly heroic age. So uh, my there are many stutterers in my book because I wanted to show how different stutterers can be from each other. Right. But none of them are unambiguously good people. Uh, why should they be? Uh, you know, stutterers don't have a moral advantage over others, nor do we have a, a, a moral hazard right. more than others. So I ended up writing a book where Brian... Uh, an average white middle-class American kid, uh, part of the baby boom, grows up normal other than stuttering. And like many males and, and some females, uh, the inability to communicate fluently means he acts out violently mm. uh, with his fists and, and other things uh, yeah. out of frustration. Yeah. And so this book that I wrote is about how uh, male violence, violence in general, uh, can be part of the package that comes with a disability. Yeah. And uh, how uh, that violence is both destructive and carthetic um, for for a character. I don't know if I succeeded or not, but that's what I'm trying yeah. to do. No, I, um, as somebody who is, uh, who not only stutters, but is also handicapped, I have cerebral palsy. And um, when I would read books, there are two different kinds of handicapped characters in those yes. books. And those characters are the side character that's so broken, nobody cares about him, but mm -hmm. the author feels like they've included him. Mm -hmm. So now, okay, I'm good. I included my handicapped character. Or 
the handicapped character is the saint who teaches the able-bodied how to live. Oh, yes. Uh, it's basically like the dying child who right. essentially, you know, take that trope and put it on a handicapped person. And now you have, right. and when I wrote my book, I said, uh-uh, neither of those, yeah. neither of those. Yeah. And one of the four-star reviews I got was, this book is great, but the author doesn't realize that the, that the main character is here to teach us. Interesting. And so that trope is so built in that people expect it every time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I can say that about the portrayal of um, any number of minorities. Yeah. In lit literature, uh, Spike Jones has talked to us, uh, Spike Lee has talked about, you know, the magical Negro in film who solves white people's problems. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, we're there as a tool, we're there as an instrument, uh, which means we're never entirely there as people. Right. And I'm not the only one who has tried to ameliorate that. Uh, there are other writers I want to um, call out. Um, uh, writers like, um, uh, I'm drawing a, a blank on her name, but... But there are there are writers who have written about stutterers from a sympathetic yeah. point of view because they are stutterers themselves. I, yeah. I'm not saying you have to be a stutterer to write about stuttering. I'm not a essentialist, but basically we continue to be abject lessons. Yeah, for the so-called normal community, and I'm sure that's true of people with cerebral palsy and. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably the most famous work of American literature that uh, has a stuttering character is um, Herman Melville's Billy Budd, mm -hmm. who is a young sailor and stutters. And because he stutters and is unable to answer questions clearly, he's unfairly convicted of murder aboard ship and hanged. If people know about stutterers through literature, that's basically the story they know. Mm -hmm. And please note what happens. Uh, the character is fatally flawed because he stutters and he pays for it with his life. Yeah, if you can't get your words out, right? I mean, that's that's how they that's how they look at it. That's how the yeah. author. Yeah. I when I first started to stutter, because I didn't, I, I didn't always as a kid. And then, it, and then it just came on, you know, it came on every now and, you know, and I would call it a stammer. It's like a Bob Newhart stammer for me. Right. I call mine like a Bob Newhart stammer. Um, uh. It's, it's, you know, and I, I didn't always, but the, the thing that annoyed me uh, most when it started, and you probably know this feeling is uh, when you're stuttering and you can't get a word out, you just, you're stuck. You can't get a word out. And whoever you're talking to is sitting there waiting for you like mm -hmm. this, like, come on, come on. And like, mm -hmm. sometimes my parents would go, come on, come on. And that makes it worse. Yes. Because you know, they're waiting and you're like, I'm trying. I really am. Yes. And you speed it up and you, you, I mean, you try so hard. You're, it, it's, and it's almost like trying so hard makes it so much worse. I don't want to exaggerate uh the consequences of stuttering i mean there are handicaps that um i consider far worse but yep. 
Uh, yes. When I stutter, I can see people, well-intentioned people, yeah. deciding they will finish my sentence for me. Yeah. Let's let's speed it up for him. Let's just get it over. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, they get it wrong a lot of the time. Yeah, because you don't know the word I'm, 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 I mean, you don't know the word I'm looking for. You just don't know it. Correct. So, so and try to guess it. Uh, I don't want to be corrected. I, increasingly, as I get older and as the disability movement has become more um, aggressive in this, yeah. I mean, I don't consider stuttering or stammering, aphasia, Tourette syndrome. I don't consider these things defects. I consider them differences. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to fight against the idea of normal speech. I mean, who the hell speaks normally? All right. It's a construct. It doesn't really yeah. exist. Yeah, we all we all speak language different. So what is what is normal in that case? Correct. I mean, if a non-native speaker of English speaks slowly and makes mistakes, we're forgiving of that, or we should be. Yeah. We let the person try and finish his or her communication. Stutterers want the same deal. Yeah. I um, I think of, you know, when I was saying Bob Newhart stammered, Bob Newhart, there's a story about when he first made a pilot for CBS. He made that pilot. It was funny. They loved it. It came in four minutes over time or something like that. And they said, you're going to need to cut four minutes from this. And he said, no, that four minutes is me stammering. And mm. my, my stammer is part of what makes me happy, you know, part of what mm. makes me funny. Uh, mm. And if you take that out, then you might as well have somebody else play the part. <laughs> yeah, very and, good. I didn't know that. That's a great story. Yeah. It was very illustrative of, of what we face. Yeah. I, I've, when, when I heard him tell that, I thought, I'm going to remember that. And I have for the, you know, I've, He's been around forever, and I think he told it like 30 or 40 years ago, and I've remembered it since whenever I heard it. So, Right, right. Very good. Um, you want to share more with me about your experiences stuttering? Yeah, okay. So I, I didn't stutter until I was about 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always been a fast talker. Uh, and then at some point, the fast talking, it, it kind of morphed into Sometimes I have issues uh, with, and I've learned how to speak around it uh, and speak over it a little bit. Like the stammer, I've made it a part of who I am a little bit um, in the sense of like, when you hear that Bob Newhart story, you go, I can do that. I can, if that's how uh, I'm gonna speak, then that's how I'm gonna speak. Like, Like you said, there's no speaking normally, so, my my main issue is that sometimes people we love don't know how to deal with the stutter and like i've i've already got my palsy and stuff so at that age i already felt a little bit behind the eight ball and of course you did and we're gonna we're gonna add this to it um Mm -hmm. and, and so and then, you know, the people you trust uh, to not make fun of you and everything were sometimes the people that they wouldn't make fun of me about the palsy because you wouldn't do that. But 
when the stutter developed, it was part of like, it was part of getting it out faster for me, help trying to help me get it out. And it's like, no. And so sometimes that was the hardest part was the stutter in a way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I look forward to you writing about this. Yeah, I, um, I, I will be there. There is in, in my book, um, in, in my book, what death taught Terrence, I do have, uh, when he gets into a situation where he's where he's nervous and it's like a first date, he does he does stutter and he's very um, he's not he's not happy about it. And um, mm-hmm. the the thing that she tells him, and not in a and not in a mean way, and not in a we need to hurry this up kind of way, is um, you don't need to talk so fast. Like if you need, but she didn't. She's not saying it in a like let's let's finish this. She's saying it in a loving way. And, and I find that when people say in a loving way, like you can go as fast or as slow as you need to go, then I can kind of relax into it and I, and I won't stutter with that person as much. Mm-hmm. If they mm-hmm. know to expect the stutter, mm-hmm. I stutter less with them. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in my uh, novel, I'll just share one scene with you. Yep. Brian is uh, 22 years old. Mm-hmm. He's a baby boomer like me. So um, he comes of age during the Vietnam War. And when he's 22, he gets his draft notice. Or rather, he gets uh, a summons to go to what's called um, an AFI station, uh, an arms services um, examination to to be physically examined for suitability to be drafted yeah and uh he stutters when he sees the doctor and most guys i suspect would be very happy to find a way to get a medical deferment out of the draft from vietnam for sure yeah he sees it I mean, he he was in the back of his mind sort of thinking of going to Vietnam as an opportunity to do what he had uh, been playing with for a long time in the back of his mind, which was killing somebody. Mm. And he's denied that. And so his girlfriend at, at the time, soon to be his wife, very happy that he's not going to be conscripted. Of course. Uh she tells him why they don't draft stutterers. It's because what if you're in battle and you need to get an order out and you can't get it out because you stutter. But for him, there's some disappointment uh, in a result, which um, most guys, I think at most middle-class white guys anyway, would, would have welcomed. Oh, for sure. Uh, So we, those of us with disabilities often have, uh contrary reactions to things uh because uh decisions that may be advantageous in some ways still reinforce our exclusion yeah it comes from with not life. being included it comes yeah. with not being included right yeah i mean that's yeah. that's yeah not being included in whatever way is the worst and i mean we we and lots of people who are thought of as sort of less than equal 
Yeah. We rule ourselves out ahead of time. For we things. absolutely do. Yes. Did I run for class president? No, because I'd have to speak in public. Yeah. You know, did I want to run for uh, a head of a professional organization? No. All of, And it's not that anybody told me I couldn't. Back in uh, 2008, um, when I went to the Democratic caucus, I I did that. We don't talk about politics here, but when I when I went to the caucus and my dad said, "Hey, do you want to apply to be a county delegate and maybe mm-hmm. go?" and I said, "And I said, no." And he looked at me and he said, "Why not?" He knew how like invested I was. Yeah. I, and I just thought, I don't want to speak publicly in front of people I don't know. And the thing is, I'm not a bad public speaker. I really am not. Yeah. But, no, you're not. But yeah. I just I have that hang up of like I yeah. don't. Yeah. Wanna, Oh, it yeah. just like I'm um, thinking about it now, and it just makes me. <laughs> I, I want to say something. I hope you don't take it the wrong way, but uh, this is a disability that is often found to be cute. Yeah. If you're a little boy or a little girl and you stutter, people find it adorable. Yeah. They find it less so when we get older. Uh, your stutter is of the cute variety. I can see people being charmed by it in a way. And that was part of the problem because I, did, I didn't want it. And, yeah. um, you know, and, uh, and, um, and I didn't always have it. Right. So when I got it, I'm like, wait, why this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you must have done a lot of thinking about the relationship between your di- your disabilities and yeah causality and affiliation. And... I'm also legally blind because the policy yes. came with that. So yeah, I mean, um, in school, they could always deal with the palsy. We we can we can make that accessible for the palsy, but making that accessible for the palsy plus the legal blindness was hard, and right. then. Why can't he get his words out? What's what's going and and like you said, sometimes people thought, well, he stutters, he must be an idiot, right? Um, and it's like, no, I'm actually yeah. smart. <laughs> I, I know yeah. things. Yeah, um, there was a, a moment when I was actually put in uh, the short bus. Oh yeah, we didn't have short buses back then, but it was the equivalent because they they just assumed my IQ was. Uh, was less than so-called oh, yeah. normal kids. My parents protested that I was taken out of the class, but it happens. And if you don't have parents that protest, well, I guess you stay in special ed. I was asked every year, do you want the regular bus or the short bus? Oh, every really? year, every mm. year. Mm. Mm. And, and, um, and I was in special ed. I mean, cause of course I have an IEP. I, I am, you know, I have, disabilities so i'm allowed to be in special ed and and to kind of have some uh you know help with whatever i need and um i did not learn how to write freehand except for my first name when everybody else was learning all their letters they took me out of the class and said all you need to learn are the letters in your name yes and at the time, I'm in first grade. I'm like, that sounds like a great plan. Everybody else yeah. has to learn all of these. Yeah. And now I look at it and like, I, I, I still, I am practicing how to write letters. And people will say to me, but you write books. So you must know how letters are formed. Like, 
No, I know how they look when they're typed on my computer. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, writing is a sense memory that it's, it's, it, I mean, you know it because frozen because you've learned it and you've practiced it. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't learned it, you haven't practiced it, the idea that you would just somehow come up with it is not. Yeah, yeah. that's really interesting, Derek. Um, I want to bring up something else, not exactly. I don't have a second disability, yeah. uh, but um, I'm gay. And yeah. uh, there's no secret about that. I, I, I've written about it. And yeah. so one of the things I've thought about uh, over the years is a, what's going on there with sexual orientation and stuttering, because um, homosexuals stutter at a higher than the general public. Really? Um, homosexuals are left handed more than I mean, there's something neurological going on, perhaps. I, okay. I, I'm not not a scientist. Right. But all of the um, doubts I had about my self worth as a stutterer. Yeah. Uh, overlapped with my um, doubts about my value as a person because of my sexual orientation. Yeah. So that's one of the things I um Write about it in the book, but let me, you know, I this is not a book about a poor little me, uh, the victim, because Brian himself victimizes others. Right. And it's important to get that part of um, some people say, well, you're writing about healing from trauma. No, I'm talking about a traumatized person who creates more trauma. Right. Uh, yeah. Which can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you look at people who have been through a lot and then they end up becoming school shooters or whatever else that, you know, I'm in pain, so I'm going to create more pain. Yeah. Yeah. We get a, we get a, um, a, uh, a, a pass, uh, when sometimes we shouldn't. Oh, for sure. Uh, so I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at, at what, what a speech disability does to a person uh, to make them both a better person and perhaps a worse person at the same time. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting in your book how um, how Brian's not necessarily always a sympathetic character. Um, no, and uh, on purpose. I could tell that that it was on purpose. Thank um, you. And his uh, his relationship with the Joker, uh, which yeah. is his uh, sort of would you say like some kind of a conscious like. It's basically Jiminy Cricket if Jiminy Cricket was not Jiminy Cricket. If Jiminy Cricket was was bad, that's what the Joker is. That's how I see him anyway. How, 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 I mean, how do you see that? Mm, okay. Uh, in the research I did to write about this, I mean, I, I can write about my experience, but there are experiences of stutterers, not me. Sure that I had to learn about. And there are writings by stutterers where they dwell on their imaginary friend when there was, did you have an imaginary friend when you were a kid? I I had a lot of stuffed animals that I would talk to. Um, so they weren't imaginary friends, but I thought of them as real, if that makes any sense. Well, I, I think they were imaginary friends unless they were threatening to kill you, but- uh, They were not, they were not. They were bunnies and bears, so, you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, 
Brian has an imaginary friend, not as simply someone he can talk to without stuttering in his head. Mm -hmm. That's very important, but kind, kind of an alter ego. Uh, he has an imaginary friend who teases him, taunts him, um, and encourages him to do cruel things yeah. to other people. Uh, yeah. it's, he's not a teddy bear. And, no. uh, you know, the Joker in, in the Batman series is is not a teddy bear. And no. that's, where, that's where the character comes from. Yeah. Uh, I kind of had an imaginary friend i don't know if it hooked up with my stuttering or not but i wanted to have brian as a child and then occasionally as an adult uh, encounter his imaginary friend as someone who sees him for what he really is mm. both in the good and the bad because the real people around him don't right but do you, so do you think, I mean, I read all about the Joker. Do you think he see, he definitely encourages the bad of Brian. Right. Like, and, and do you think that that is part of that is, is Brian not accepting? Of course. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, the Joker is an entirely an invention. Yeah. Of, um, and, you know, I often think that uh, when you undergo terrible experiences as a child, you dissociate, to use psychological language. You adopt a point of view which is not you. Uh, and I think uh, the imaginary friend in Brian's life is that place where Brian's mind and consciousness can reside outside of himself Right. And outside of the hurt he's undergoing. But he doesn't retreat into that space with his imaginary friend to feel safe. Mm -hmm. the, the, the imaginary friend won't allow that. The imaginary friend is very honest with Brian and knows he's harboring really terrible thoughts. Right. About the people around him. Right. I mean, his wife, his eventual wife, his daughter, um, he has a relationship with an indigenous Alaskan later on. And the uh, childhood imaginary friend, the Joker, is watching all of this over his yeah. shoulder. Yeah. All right. We're coming up on time here. I apologize. Yes. But um, let me uh, ask you, if, if our listeners want to get in touch with you online... How would they go about doing that? Where can they find Very you? easily. I have a website. I mean, it's very primitive. I'm an old guy. I don't do high tech very well. But yep. uh, it's www.johnwittiertreat.com. And we'll have that in the show notes, you guys. Thanks uh, very much. Uh, uh, this book is really good. You guys want to uh, take a look at it. It's um, it, it it talks about honestly what, what it feels like uh, when when you can't get the words out and 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 really how that makes you feel inside um which is even more important kind of because we are the only ones who know how we feel inside we we can uh project an outer image but that doesn't mean that you're seeing how that person really feels all right. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, John. And we'll, um, like I said, I'll, I'll link everything in the show notes. Um, 
The book is called First Continents. It's from Jaded Ivis Press, and it's it's just out a month, about a month ago. Uh, you guys should take a look at it. All right, thank you so much. Thanks very much, uh, Derek. Writing While Handicapped is a podcast solely owned by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This podcast, specifically this episode, has been minimally edited to leave in the effects of stuttering. Thanks again to my guest, John Whittier Treat, and goodbye, everybody.